Hey everybody, welcome to Two Dads Talking. I'm going to get the intro right this time, maybe eventually, so that it works with the music. Um, now we can go back to our, our small talk. Hi, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to talk over Doug while he does the intro, because that is a successful podcasting technique. All right, well, let's get to the important stuff. What are you drinking tonight? Anything? Tonight I had a pineapple, vodka, and soda. That is, as always, more fancy than anything I'm doing. I... Ran out of Knobs Creek, so Maker's Mark. It's fitting for for the podcast, though, because <laughs> in typical male fashion, I was like, honey, do you remember where we got this? And she goes, um, I think I gave that to you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, thanks. Good choice. So <laughs> Maker's Mark is actually my favorite bourbon. I'm not a I'm not a big fan of mashes and, and traditional bourbons. I like the rye, the rye mm. whiskey. Yeah. Um, but Maker's Mark is my favorite bourbon, and now it's got nostalgia. Um, Doug knows, anybody listening, probably anybody who knows me knows. Um, a good friend of ours uh, is is passing away with a, a tumor in her brain. It's obviously more complicated than that, but she's she's passing away rapidly. And one of her dreams was to go to see Hobbitown out in um, New Zealand, I think it is, where they filmed and they basically got like an entire area still set up. Like it's the Shire from from the Lord of the Rings. She's a big Lord of the Rings fan, and she really wanted to go see it, but that's no longer on the table for her. So there's a place in Rhode Island uh, called the Preserve, and this is a place when you come out, if you can make it out to sea, you should. It has the largest underground firearms range in the country, and the ventilation system is designed to simulate the wind conditions so that you can simulate different wind conditions outside and emulate the environment. And it's very impressive. Um, they've got, um, it, it's a private club. You know, the membership fees there are extravagant. There's a uh, David Burke restaurant there on the grounds, condos and townhouses. And, you know, a lot of professional athletes and celebrities have, have summer places up there. But um, on this property, they've got a preserve for rams. URI, is uh, their mascot is the rams. There's this big ram preserve there. And there's also, they've got these hobbit houses they built. And they're designed to look like what you would picture a hobbit house to be like. The big circular door. And you go in there and they're partnered with Maker's Mark. And you do a bourbon tasting. And it's like a four-course meal with different bourbon to go with each one. The last one being one that's specific and only available there. It's called the Reserve Preserve. And it's it's quite the experience. So we took her there uh, since we couldn't take her, obviously, to New Zealand. But we went up there with just like some of the closer friends and, and the Lord of the Rings fans and her dad and her. Man, it was such a good time. The host dressed up like an elf. They decorated the house. They put her name up on the door. And the food was really, really impressive. And the uh, the, the whiskey or the bourbon was, was really good. It was uh, four very different blends. And it was... As someone who's not really a connoisseur of whiskey, it was um, it was very neat the way they paired it with the food, and they did a great job, and they made the experience just absolutely sensational. So Maker's Mark has a place in my heart now. I have no problem giving them a free plug, as well as the reserve. Just um, just outstanding service provided by them, and a great experience. But yeah, Maker's Mark, good way to go. I approve. I don't even feel like I'm worthy to drink it now. <laughs> just gonna put this back. No, don't do that. Yeah, Crystal well, would be is... mad at you if you wasted alcohol. Well, I mean, I wasn't going to throw it away. I was just going to drink it in unpublic. <laughs> well, since so we're that... not sharing the video for this, you're still not <laughs> drinking it in public. Yeah, but I'm telling people. <laughs> All right. 
I mean, that is a good, um, I mean, the topic was broached of how to talk to your kids about death and afterlife and everything else, because that's a pretty common topic. And, and if you don't want to talk about it, we don't have to. But I mean, there's, for me, I know one of my, my big things that has stuck with me about it is, um, it was that book by Mitch Album. I think it was called Before I Go. You yeah. might be right. It's just like a, it's a quick read, but I, I love that book. It's such a neat, you know, concept, if you will. So we can get into that if you want. All that fun stuff. And Coco, like you said. Yeah, it's just, uh, <laughs> it's my house right now is, um like I explained to Doug, it's just kind of a heavy atmosphere. Um, right now, it just seems like everyone my family is connected to is going through something really tough. Obviously, one of our best friends. When I say she's one of our best friends, I mean, we, we've known her since high school. My wife roomed with her throughout college and she was snapping photos at our wedding. And she's the only friend we have whose photo is up in our bedroom. Like she's, she's a super close friend and she's unfortunately not got much time left and seems like less time than, than anyone expected. And at the same time, another good friend of ours, um, his name's Kevin, his, um, his dad is passing away uh, from cancer and a colleague of a physical therapist in her office had an aneurysm this week on her way to work and she's now in a coma and just all the little things on top of it. But our house, it's just, it seems like there's a lot of stuff going on and it's very heavy and our kids are asking questions and um, it seemed like a pretty, there's a couple of different ways I, I figured tonight might, might wind up veering. One would be sort of my normal. Yeah. I feel like crap and it's been a really hard week and it's been a really crappy couple of days but that's all right. And I'm learning that it's okay to have some days like that. Not every day has to be an eight out of 10. And that's something I'm, I'm working on, but a lot of it also, you know, I'm watching Coco with my daughter and kind of the very end, the movie was the first half of that movie is like a C or a C plus movie. And then the last like third of it hits you so hard. It's like, wow. Like the writers saved all their efforts for there. All the setup went to that. And it really is a phenomenal finish. I mean, I was just hugging my daughter so hard at the end of that movie. And yeah, I don't know. I might be more susceptible to it, but no, talking to your kids about death, it's it's a hard thing. And it's it's easier when you're coming from a religious background and you're you're raising your kids with religion, but it still isn't easy, I don't think. So I'm I'm kind of curious. Um how how are we doing that these days as dads? How are we telling our kids about death and explaining it to them? Go ahead, Doug. <laughs> I'm gonna go watch football now. Go ahead and talk. Yeah. Right. See, see you later. I'll be back at the end. Um, well, I, I mean, it, it, it's to trivialize it a little bit. Um, one thing that, that has stuck out to me along this, this type of topic, if you will, for the life of me, I can't even remember what the rest of the episode was about or like what episode it was in. But all I remember was that there were a bunch of goth kids that, you know, they were all being nonconformists. It was a South Park episode. And Towards the end of the episode, uh, somehow Butters ends up like, you know, in the rain on the the side of the road crying on, uh, you know, on the curb or whatever. And one of the goth kids comes up and tries to like, you know, recruit him like, hey, life sucks, doesn't it? And Butters basically says, well, yeah, but I only feel this way because there are good things. Like if, if it was all bad, I wouldn't I wouldn't feel this bad about what's happened. And and. I remember thinking like, wow, South Park is hitting really big, like moral, ethical lessons in in, in something like that. And I, I do think about that a lot because 
I do. While I do think it is, no, this is putting on a different hat because this is the philosophy major in me. Um, it is possible to talk to kids or just people in general about death without any sort of religious precedent. But boy, that's so difficult to do. Um, and, and it's not because I don't I don't want to say it's because it's like it's, quote, more depressing. Like, yeah, when you die, that's it. And like you're done kind of thing without religion. I think it's just because it's a purpose thing. So when when you talk about if you die and that's it, if you carry that out to its conclusion, it's like, well, what should I even live for? And, and I think that's where where the hiccup comes in. I think this is a problem for people in general. I think you can dovetail this discussion into a whole thing about capitalism and sex cells and keeping death kind of out of the limelight, unless it's something like noble, like in the movies kind of deal. Like everyone wants to be, I mean, there's all sorts of face creams and makeups and treatments and hell, even for men. Like, yeah, this is not like a ladies thing. Like men, it's like, Bosley, grow your hair back. Like, because you know who has hair? Young people. (laughs) You can look younger instantly. I mean, that's how they sell it. So you have an entire culture geared towards not death. And I think it's because at, at base level, we're all afraid of it. If you sit there and you say you're not afraid of death, I, I know what you're saying. I, I kind of don't believe you in a way because we, we really haven't had anybody come back and tell us what it's like from a non-religious standpoint. So that's why I think the, the religion side makes it easier, not just for talking to kids, but also just kind of in general for dealing with that kind of concept. And at least for me. Uh, and this is maybe just convincing myself, but I feel like logically there's a whole argument behind this that goes way down a bunch of rabbit holes, but there has to be something after death. Otherwise we wouldn't be alive. And that sounds like a non sequitur almost just saying it in, in those words, but everything has a purpose. Even electrons have a purpose. They have a negative charge. They have a set area that they define and orbit and and all that stuff. So if we're just here and that's it, like whoopsie accident, that just doesn't that just doesn't compute for me. Literally. Everything there there is a design to everything. Now we can talk about whether or not it's purposeful. We can talk about what kind of God or gods or whatever machinations there are, but I just find it extremely hard to believe that there's life now and not life later of some different kind it just feels like that's for for beings like us to even tap into that concept kind of tells me there is something else other than this whatever it may be there i successfully dodged the actual heart of the question so i'm going to drop it back on Tom now <laughs> i mean i do have stuff to contribute but i just don't want to one dad talking the whole way because we've we've talked to our five-year-old about this and it was rough because she's very emotional yeah, um, my eight-year-old, when we talked to her about it, my almost eight-year-old, she kind of digests it and slows down. And like, you can tell she's thinking about it. And I, and she's grasping it very much from, I think, I think what is probably a very traditional point of view. You know, my, we're raising her as a Roman Catholic. Um, my wife is Roman Catholic and it was important to her and it was something we've talked about. So we're, we're raising her with a very basic Roman Catholic understanding of things. And as far as my daughter's concerned, you know, when you pass away, you go to heaven and you see your family and your friends there. And and that's kind of the end game as far as she's concerned. And you can tell that she puts thought into it. She thinks about it and she talks about it. And she's as far as she's concerned right now with her understanding is that when Miss Krista dies, she's going to go to heaven. Um, 
my son, my five-year-old, I try and talk to him about it. And he brushes it all off and just like, yeah, can I get back to my tablet now? Can I go play Legend of Zelda? Can I go play Crazy Eights? You know, can I can I go do anything other than sit here and listen? <laughs> can I go talk? end the digital lives of some other creatures in my yes. video game? <laughs> yep, yep. So it's you know it's it's very different in talking to the two of them. Um, and it's funny to me because my son is by far the more empathetic of the two. You know, my my two year old is still a two year old; she doesn't count. But my son, my son <laughs> is very empathetic. My son is the one who. You know, he has the big emotions and the big anger and we're working on controlling your emotions and controlling your temper tantrums, controlling your anger. We're working on that with him. But he's also the one that, you know, he'll come to me and say, hey, you know, dad, how's how's, how's Miss Krista doing? And I'll tell him and I'll spare some of the details, obviously. And he'll say, is mommy okay? And I'll say, oh, buddy, mommy's having a hard time with it. She's she's kind of struggling with it. And I'll say, I want to give her a hug when she comes home because hugs make mommy feel better. And then he will, like, she'll come home and he'll just, he'll remember it. He'll run up and just give her this big old hug and just say, mommy, I'm sorry you're not feeling well. And I'm sorry about Miss Krista. Like the one who doesn't seem like he's processing it when you tell him is the empathetic soul in my my house. And, and he's the one who's rushing to comfort. So it's interesting. And, and what I have found is challenging is that my wife, because of her faith is, it's a very easy question. It's a very easy answer. I am way more undecided. I was raised Episcopal in a Roman Catholic community, but I was raised Episcopal and I was, I would consider myself an Episcopalian for most of my life, definitely Christian. And I I waver now, and now I don't know where I stand faith-wise. I really don't. I do believe in a higher being and I do believe in a God. I don't believe there is a single religion on earth that I can really subscribe to and say, yeah, that matches my beliefs. So I don't know what I feel about an afterlife. I do believe in a God. I do believe in someone who's designed this and someone who's put this all into motion, put this all into play. And I do believe in a higher power. But I don't know what we do in the afterlife. I don't know if we go and, and, and join him or other people. I don't know if our energy gets reabsorbed into some crazy energy pool to be dispersed later as, as someone sees fit. I don't know if I'm going to be reincarnated as a grasshopper or a sky whale. Like I have no idea. I but, think uh, you'll be a sensei. Not a grasshopper. A sensei? Mm, I, I like the Kung Fu reference there. That's good. I haven't seen that forever. <laughs> no, I, I don't know where I stand. And so for me, trying to talk to my kids about it, it forces me to look at my thoughts on the matter and then what I think. And I do think there's something. What it is, I don't know. But everything in me kind of intuitively says, yes, there's something. But I've always thought of faith as, as the ability to believe something or the need to believe something despite the lack of evidence. And and even without any actual concrete evidence, I believe there's something there. I, I believe there is a God and I believe something happens after we die. It's not the end. But I don't know what that means. I mean, perhaps I just turn into a blade of grass. I get reborn as a seedling or something. I don't know what, what exactly that means. But I also kind of buy into Einstein's comments about how, yeah, you know, I, I believe after you die, there's there's something afterward because energy just doesn't get destroyed. It just doesn't. And there's something inside of us that is more than just biological and is more than just animal and is more than just an organism. You, know, you call it the soul, you call it whatever you want. There's something there. I, I, I refer to it as the soul. And I definitely think there's something there. And I don't believe it just dissipates and disappears when you go. That doesn't make any sense to me. So when trying to talk to my kids about it, there's a lot of self-introspection and a lot of questioning my own beliefs and trying to force myself to, to pin myself down on something. And I can't do it. 
I have not yet pinned myself down and said, this is what I believe is going to happen. This is what's going to happen. But yet I'm telling my children things, I think with the goal of comforting them and making things easier for them. And it's just sort of this interesting dichotomy where I don't want to lie to my kids. And I've told myself I was going to tell my kids hard truths. And here I am. I don't know the truth, but I'm willing to shovel this off to them as though it's gospel. Probably a poor Not choice fun. of words. <laughs> no, perfect choice of words. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's been quite the experience. And it's it's something, if, if there are any other dads out there willing to share their opinions on this and willing to talk about how they've prepared their kids for this, um, we we sort of had an introduction to it when our dog passed away about two years ago. Uh, I was in front of my kids, and, and that was sort of a, an introduction to the matter. But uh, it's different with a dog. And it's different with people. And I am kind of stumbling through and doing the best I can. But, you know, as a dad, a lot of the stuff that you do and you have to figure out and you have to get done, a lot of it, it's the first time you've ever done it. And this is one of those things. That's the bitch about being a dad is you're expected to get things right that you've never done before. You know, your learning curve doesn't exist. You have to know how to do it. And that's a shame and it's a lot of pressure, but that's kind of the way parenting works, you know, for moms and dads both. So. All right. You know what I, the best part about being a dad is? Is all the time I think about, I was, I mean, like you turn into a teenager and you're like, my parents suck and they're so stupid. But when you really realize like, wait, I'm an adult too. And at least intellectually, morally, whatever, I'm on an equal plane as my parents. Like they're still my parents, but I no longer view them as sort of like a, they're not like an authority figure anymore. You know what I mean? Like it, it for my life. And it's always that moment when something clicks and you're like, wait, my, and for me, it was my dad, especially like my dad has no fucking idea what he's doing. <laughs> and I just think about that constantly. Like whenever I'm talking to my kids about something and I'm like, yeah, secretly, I have no clue what I'm doing. I, I don't even know if what I'm saying is even right. Hope she doesn't like figure this out too quickly. Otherwise I'm <laughs> screwed. So that, that's, that's been the, the fun part of you. That's interesting. I was wondering, I was wondering what you were religious ishly i mean i'm um well i'm catholic roman catholic raised that way definitely not always the best catholic my contribution to this part of the of the discussion is going to be dark ish in a way um i'm glad you're here tom because you get to sit there and be yeah i don't know what i'm doing and i'm learning myself and i get to sit here and say yeah, I don't know what I'm doing, but I have a whole lot of opinions, so I'm going to act like I still know a bunch of shit. Well, I mean, you um, did say you're Roman Catholic, so that all makes sense. That's well, I mean, it does make sense. So, <laughs> I, I, well, and that's funny that I, I talk about being Roman Catholic because I have two things for this. The first one is, and it was something that I actually read in, um, I think it was my philosophy of religion class in college. Um, we had a whole week's worth of readings, and it was letters back and forth between Mother Teresa and one of her, like, what do they call them? Uh, religious advisors, you know, religious guides kind of deal. Cause you know, it's kind of like how uh, it, this is a bad example, but how like therapists go to other therapists to help them yeah. with just stuff they hear. It's kind of like that. Like every priest, cardinal, bishop, whatever is encouraged to have someone else that they go to, not just for confession, but just like to confide in. And, and, and so mother Teresa had that and late in her life, she, she had a lot of like, doubts if you will like about what really happens when we die is there really a heaven is is like in a way to take the shortcut is all this just bullshit and i mean mother Teresa thought that 
And one of the things she explicitly says in one of the letters, um, so who knows exactly who betrayed who, but she didn't really want her thoughts on this to get out because she was aware that a lot of people followed her and she still felt like it was the right thing and the good thing and, and that she was trying to do her best. And she didn't want people to know that she had all these doubts about death and the afterlife and everything else. And somehow the decision was made that her having doubts is actually a good thing. Like people should know this, like you're allowed to have doubts. If you're not, if you'd feel like I'm not mother Teresa, it's like, well, mother Teresa is not solidly like no worries either kind of thing. So that's the first thing is just to muddy the waters. Like even someone like mother Teresa is scared. And then the other thing too, that this is more just my own personal beef. Um, but one thing you'll often hear when you talk about religion, especially when you get someone who's like really hard line, like, you know, their religion is the best is they always say, well, only one religion is right. And they're relying on that logic because they're all slightly different. So at least one is more right than the other. While that logically makes sense, what's most likely is that no religion is right. Yep. When you find the one that's most right, are you really going to sit there and, and confirm or declare that literally everything that God would want is set by our religion? Probably not. I mean, and, and that's to the, the Judeo-Christian shortcut. I mean, you mentioned the whole blade of grass, grasshopper kind of thing. I mean, how many people are, are Hindu with, you know, and I mean, that is their shtick is the samsara. They keep reincarnating. They, you keep trying to work your way up. And the entire goal is to cease to exist. You try to yeah. achieve, I, th I think it's moksha. Is that right? It's moksha it is where- sounds right. It's been a long you, time. I, I haven't yeah, read I the mean, Bhagavad Gita forever or anything else that's really relevant. It's yeah. been a long time. So. I'm just pulling from high school. I, I, I was really interested in Hinduism in, in the high school religion class. But yeah, I think when, once you achieve moksha, all your four or five chakras that make up you go poof and disperse and they go back into Brahma, which is like the pantheistic everything God. And you cease to exist and like thumbs up. That's what you're trying to do because at the end of the day, life sucks. <laughs> you should not be yourself anymore. So to bring it all the way back around, I did like this topic when you brought it up because at the end of the day, we're all struggling. We all don't really, if you're being honest, we don't really know if we're doing it right. I mean, it was one of those same things. I One thing I said for sure was, not only will I give my kids cold, hard facts and be confident and firm and all that stuff, but I also said that I would never do things like, because I said so. And I lasted all of, lasted all of two months of, of, of my first kid talking to be like, because I said so, just do it. <laughs> and then, yeah. yeah, that's, that's why every parent goes through this. And it's just tough because do you want to make it depressing, but you don't want to like not give them the right impression. You know what? I, I remember talking to to our five-year-old about about death for the first time and we were we it was something like oh well they they're they're not going to be here anymore they wouldn't be here anymore if they died and she goes what do you mean like we'll see them later I'm like no you won't see them ever again and she still didn't get it but waterworks like oh never again like she did sort of understand this concept of never again right which good for her because the dumbass that i am I, I was older than her. I was six when my grandfather died and I was just told like, oh yeah, we're, we're not going to visit grandpa anymore. And I was like, oh, well, when can we see him again? And my mom was like, probably not going to see him again. And I was like, oh, 
uh, okay. I just kind of was confused and, and it, it didn't impact, impact me at all. And, and I still remember sitting in the car in the graveyard, you know, in the cemetery, but I didn't get it. And it took me a couple of years to be like, holy shit. <laughs> My parents were trying to like drop a bomb on me and I was like, uh, okay, whatever. So yeah. never been much of a feeler though. So that's probably my problem there. We all talk about our feelings. Doug has one feeling, just the one. Yeah. It's buried deep down inside. <laughs> it's hard to reach. <laughs> it's tough though. Again, so many things just jump up in here. I mean, there's whether or not there's a heaven, whether or not there's a hell. I mean, I wrote an entire term paper arguing that hell exists. Um, I wrote another paper that that I was particularly proud of and the professor gave me a B plus on it, which, and of course they are was like, good paper. Like, no, it wasn't. It was a B plus. An A is a good paper, you son of a bitch. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to go. Unless you got something that you want to say, I'm just, I'm hauling off now. I'm going to talk about this. Rabbit um, hole away, my friend. Oh my God. We're, we are leaping through it. <laughs> Alice, baby, here we go. Um, I was extraordinarily immature in many ways, even into college. One of those ways I was immature was I flunked out, essentially. I took a year off and to graduate within four actual like years, like eight semesters, I did have to take a summer course, a couple summer courses and, you know, picked up a few things. But one thing I did during the summer was a uh, like one of those reading courses where you partner up with a professor and do specific readings and write different short papers and you pick topics for long papers. And um, my first choice was Professor Alvin Plantinga, which he's one of those rock stars in philosophy. So he was ridiculously fantastic in philosophy. So I wanted to, to work with him. And he said, yeah, I'm not doing any any summer reading this summer. Sorry, kid, was, was the email I got back. So my next choice was uh, Professor Thomas Flint. And I am giving him a plug because he's an amazing dude. Um, well, both of these guys, obviously. But he's the most unassuming guy. I mean, I remember walking in the first time and what I see is on the outside looks totally average, like five foot ten, lean, gray hair, round glasses. He's wearing a pink polo shirt. And I'm like, this dude, like this is this is the guy who I'm gonna be learning stuff from. And I mean, just completely mop the floor with me every which way any topic anything and what we did was we read multiple articles um, mostly about the characteristics of god like the judeo-christian god and the fun part about the reading was that it was the book was edited by him and one of my teachers who i had taken like two semesters before so when we read the 35 page essay on omnipotence and what omnipotence means and what it actually should be he would sit there and say oh yeah that essay was 52 pages when that guy submitted it to us we had him cut it down <laughs> you're like oh this guy had 50 pages on omnipotence not 35 um the whole reason my brain went this route was because one of the big papers i wrote for that was for that course which was the b plus paper was that i was arguing that the soul and the body are truly intertwined. And it wasn't just the Catholic perspective. So the Catholic perspective says you die, your soul goes to heaven, your body sits here and rots and becomes mulch for Tom as a blade of grass or whatever. And then eventually devil is defeated, hell is defeated, destroyed. And then you have your second coming and everybody who is in heaven gets a glorified body. 
and I'm doing air quotes for the audio, the Bible references how when Jesus came back, when he rose from the dead and he appeared to people and in the stories, they don't recognize him at first. And then they sort of realize as they're talking to him, like, oh, shit, this is Jesus. And that's the idea was that he had this glorified body. So you you are you and in a way you look like you, but you're different. You're optimized in every way. You don't eat, you don't get tired, you don't have pain, weakness, whatever. You have this optimized body. And that's that's what the second coming is, is that you have literally second earth, your same soul and a, a glorified body. And then it, for lack of better phrasing, is kumbaya. Um, I wrote this entire paper arguing that without any of that background, just logically speaking, no religion aside, that there is a soul and a body and they are integral and in a way they are intertwined and that death is actually a violent act, literally because your soul is being ripped away from your body or separated from your body. And that's why it's such a scary, intense, almost even people who quote die peacefully when you when you see most of the poses that those people die in that's not doesn't look peaceful at all it looks very stressed and yeah. so to me that was part of the part of the contention and and I went into things like phantom limb syndrome from people who lose limbs they talk about how you know feels like my arm is still there well because it should be that's not like a habit that you ever get out of i think it's because your soul is telling you there should be an arm here like almost like think about it as like a like a ghost part of you that that is kind of in and out and and there's a reason why there is some credence i think to the cia doing those psyops about being able to like telepathically like figure out where people are i mean they made the video to make fun of it the men who stare at goats but i think there is something to that why can't we tap into something that's not completely tangible we should be able to if there's an intangible part of us and it's kind of like having one foot in each pool. Your soul is physical in a way because it's got its body, but it's immaterial because it can be without the body. That's the other thing to me, not religiously at all, that you can incorporate into death is we already have a foot in the other realm. And we're, I don't want to say blinded, but flooded with kind of the physical world which is most of the time stopping us from really tapping into that other one and when you shut that off that's when the only thing you have left to notice is this other side of things and that's the afterlife whatever that may be it's really deep down here in this hole <laughs> you did a good job though you dug a very nice hole lassie is that you <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I honestly, it's it's a very compelling argument. I kind of want to hear more, maybe at a later time, about um, why there can only be one omnipotent being. I, I get on the surface level, you know, what you're talking about, but I, I'd like to see the argument on that spelled out. I'm curious about that. Um, I mean, the really short version is, if someone can do anything, well, first of all, what is omnipotence? Can someone do anything or can someone get anything done? thought omnipotence because, was simply knowing everything am i do am i no, working that's with the om, wrong definition of omnipotence that's omniscience okay okay then that's my problem with that okay that yeah. makes sense there, there is some theory out there that you can only have one omniscient being because same kind of thing if you know something that everyone is going to do you kind of run into this logical contradiction of if two beings know exactly everything about the other one you you know you kind of get that never-ending spiral of but I knew that she would know that I knew. 
And did you know that? Yes, I did know that. And I knew that you would know that I know that. So essentially we're talking about high level poker. Everything we talk about on the show comes back to playing poker. Yes, actually okay. it does. Good. Yeah. So if you have one omniscient poker player, yeah, you can't have two omniscient poker players. There you go. <laughs> Done. All right. I can get on board with that philosophy. That works. I'm sorry, God, for trivializing your creation. <laughs> to poker. We're trivial, imperfect <laughs> beings who can't manage a perfect understanding. This is the only way we can kind of get any understanding of him is by diluting it and re- being reductionist and oh, and, and getting this small sample of, of God to interpret. <laughs> Did you ever watch TV show Friends? Well, yes, but um, I won't say with protest, but the girl I was dating at the time who ended up being my wife really loves it. So, <laughs> I'm, <laughs> so a huge, I'm, I'm a huge fan a lot, of that show, but... so I'm, I'm on your wife's side on this one. I don't like um, it. I don't really like I like it's funny, but it's like I don't know why it was such a big deal. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's one of my comfort shows. There are shows that when when I just need something to like mellow out and feel good about life and just and just kind of push all the other crap aside. It's it's that show, it's psych, it's supernatural. Mm -hmm. Like these are shows that just they let me zone in and and tune the rest of the bullshit out. (laughs) There was a I just remember one scene from that show. We're talking about omnipotence and, and it was them in the coffee house, obviously in central Park, And they're talking about what they would do if they were omnipotent for a day. Of course, Chandler, by the way, Matthew Perry passed away this week. Rest was in it peace, Matthew drowning? Perry. Was that what it was? They or found was him. Else? They found him dead in the pool. There's, um, there's a lot of really odd, suspicious things going on there. They're investigating. It's, it's odd, but it, right now it, it looks like it's either a suicide or maybe he overexerted mm. himself. He played pickleball for like two hours before that in the morning. Um, so maybe there was some kind of a negative medical issue, but there's a lot of strange coincidences there. And it's it's looking like there's going to be more to tell. Was he Obama's new chef? Maybe that was it. Yeah, that was a little bit crude. I apologize. It was. But there was, you know, the scene, they're all talking, what would you do if you were omnipotent for a day? And he said, well, I'd make myself omnipotent for every day. And they're all kind of making fun of him. Like, yeah, of course, there's always one guy who wishes for more wishes, but it was perfect. And then Joey walks in. And they're like, hey, Joey, what would you do if you were omnipotent for a day? And he was like, omnipotent? I don't know. I'd probably kill myself if little Joey's not working. I don't know. You know, you know, he's <laughs> and so Ross looks at him and goes, no, Joey, <laughs> omnipotent. And he's like, you are? I'm so sorry. I didn't know. <laughs> right. it was yeah. Supernatural needs to be its own discussion. It can I, be. Uh, it would bring me back to Krista. Um, yeah. but we can we can make that its own thing. I, I, I will say in in a quick, don't want to linger on it kind of thing. Jensen Ackles and Jared Padalecki and everyone else involved in that show mm-hmm. and its ongoing conventions. You guys are superheroes in, in the truest sense of the word. The things that you are doing and, and the way that you are reaching out for some of your super fans who are going through something right now, particularly Krista, the, the things you've done are above and beyond what anybody would have expected. And, and and I love you guys all for it. They are truly fantastic human beings, the people involved in that show. They have done amazing things and there's something else amazing still on the way. I'll talk about it after it happens, but it's so nice. damn cool. It's, it, it's really nice to see people who are that successful that are still just great human beings. It's just, sometimes it's just nice to see that and remember that, Despite all the headlines you read about famous and successful people doing awful things, it's not all of them. And they're just people, and some people are just truly magnificent human beings. Yeah. Well, it's not good clickbait. Right. 
And I was talking about it from a purely nerdy perspective, because there's a whole lot of philosophy and theology and mythology and everything else that they tie into that show. And they deserve some credit for. Basically, it's like the writer said, hey, what if all of it? Was true. Yeah. <laughs> like yep. all of it, right? And from they the find Zoom ways to, to make everything. it so. It's fantastic. It's surprisingly logically consistent for what it is. I don't blame them for not touching the Jesus concept, though. Yeah. Yeah. You got to leave some would, things alone. That's a, a whole new game. Yeah. But they did a great job with that show. You know what yeah, else we really should did. talk about? So, so one episode, we should probably talk about our favorite shows and why. Like that's probably a whole episode in itself. And then we should also, you know, you, you had these really great professors you, you had. I had a couple of really amazing professors. Maybe we find some way to talk about some of those people that were uh, a little bit special. You know, like Samuel Pickering was a professor of mine one, one time. And hmm. he's he, he's the guy that Dead Poet Society is based on. Yeah. He was fantastic. And in real life, again, another amazing human being and one who was fascinating. When you talk about a person who has character and is just an interesting person wow is he that person really amazing and professor barreca at at uconn also she's a best-selling author and she's been on every show ever she was exceptional i took a lot of courses with her and worked directly with her one semester for sort of a bonus thing working on a novel she's another one yeah there's 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 some great professors so maybe we find a way to talk about some of those people in a future episode but if we want a lighter and fun episode maybe we talk about some tv shows tv shows and books and and the media you know because I'm sure we've probably got some good hits. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because that's what it's all about is clickbait. Just yeah. put in all the keyword yeah. search yeah. terms. Yeah. yeah. This, this episode is about supernatural friends. The episode uh, summary is not going to make Wayne, any sense. The league. <laughs> <laughs> just don't just act like you don't need any linking verbs or just a bunch of words. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just a bunch of words. Yeah. And we're yeah. going to hyperlink it to all their websites and get those backlinks going. And, you know, it'd be great. Right. That was the other thing, too, about the current topic was that book, um, Before I Go. It's a, it's a quick read. I read it not too long after my own, I won't call it like, a, it's not it's not anywhere close to like a brush with death or anything like that. But I did have major open heart surgery back in the day uh, when I was 20 years old. And they do, in full disclosure, tell you, they're like, yeah, you know, um, it's less than 1%, like slightly less than 1%, but not everyone makes it out of this procedure. I'm like, oh, thanks guys. And so I did kind of have this, right when they were doing the anesthesia, I did have that thought right there of lying on the hospital bed. And it's even worse because I have contacts and you have to take those out. You know, they just take everything out for the surgery. So I'm like blind and then I'm like going into the darkness and I'm sitting there going, well, this might be it. <laughs> A shitty way to go. I can't see anything. Man, it's really that? blurry. I can't. <laughs> so, um, but, but yeah, I read this book not too long after that when some of those feelings were still kind of fresh. And the book is just this guy. I mean, he writes from a perspective of having terminal cancer, I think. And he it's it's he even says in the book, he's like, I don't have any real basis for this other than just I think this would be cool. It's 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 like an afternoon read, 200 some pages or 300 some pages, something like that. Pretty quick reading. And, and it was it's it sort of long? like a, a I feel like it was shorter than that. Was it that long? I mean, I read it in one day. But I feel like it was like double spaced, maybe 180 pages, something like, like a couple hours. I feel like all of Mitch Album stuff was very, very short. Yeah. All of it. Very fast. But it's kind of like a sort of a Dante's Inferno kind of thing where as you're dying, you get a, a guide and the guide 
sort of like ghost of Christmas pasts you through various times of your life for the protagonist it's like you meet five people or you you see five people you the meet five, five people, people meet that are heaven, right isn't that yeah same kind of concept um who have who were some sort of integral part of your life and one of them is this he called him the blue man you know because he was just like a circus performer essentially or a carnival performer and he's like i don't know who this guy is well this guy when you were five years old shoved you out of the way of a moving truck and saved your life and he got clipped by it and ended up dying a week later from his injuries but like he was one of the people that was put in there for you and you never even knew the guy now you know him and that was the premise was that these certain people are picked to show you even the most mundane little things that you don't even necessarily know. There's a design there. There's a reason there. There's sort of in a way you do matter. Even the little things that you do matter that other people do matter. It's like a way to show that there were more blessings for you than you're even aware of from just what people did for you. And that book was just, it was just a good book. It was a good, not religious at all, just a reminder of there's so many things going on that don't get the credit they deserve. It's a good read in general, especially if you are struggling with this topic as a dad or even just in general, just read it. It's semi-uplifting, but more just gets you to think. And at the end of the day, that's really what you need to do is just think about it and you'll get to where you need to get to. Well, on that happy note, we're coming up on that one hour mark. I know. Derek Henry scored a touchdown a while ago, so <laughs> yeah, apparently. So yeah. Derek Henry had him on a single fantasy football team this year. I think I have zero shares of him. I do have DeAndre Hopkins. He was, was good for me last week. That would be good for you. I mean, that was my one positive plug from this week is I did not lose finally. Nice. Don't call it a comeback, but I'm pretty sure I did. No, yeah, you did. No, the league that we're in together, I am having my worst fantasy season out of all the leagues. It's unfortunate. Yeah, well, so Tom set up our league, everybody, and and he set it up so that you get it's like two matches. So you get a win if you win your match, and then you also get a win or a loss based on if you're above or below the the median score for the week. So there's eight people in our league. So if you're one of the bottom four. Even if you win, like me, you still get a loss anyways. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm at least I'm like one in 13 now instead of zero and 14. <laughs> so I've got another league where we're also playing against the median. And in that league, I am the highest scoring player in the league. Mm. And I am eight and eight. <laughs> it is unbelievable. Every single week, I put up the second or third highest score and I lose mm-hmm. every single week. I have yep. the highest points, but I am eight and freaking eight. That was like my coworker that was one and seven and had the highest point total <laughs> at that point for the whole league. Like, well, this is why on? you play the median, so you don't <laughs> end up right. one and seven, damn it. Uh, he did better. He finished whatever. I can't do math right now. He he finished like five and three for the last eight games or everybody he was the first still doesn't get you to the playoffs. Was a, he was like the his team still did really great because he had a great team but i think he like missed the playoffs by like by like one or two slots i think it's a yeah i think you're right i think we we came in with a really heavy topic this time and i think it's time to just cut this sucker out come back with something more fun next time you wore the wrong hat too no, i was I wearing a wear, waluigi I had, hat i had to wear one i haven't worn yet is wario 
It's who oh, I was for, for Wario. My son was Mario. My, right. My Waluigi's purple. Sorry. Waluigi's purple with the backward L. Man. I'm sorry. I have brought shame upon my household. Give it a couple more years. You can do long enough to refresh all your Mario knowledge. It'll be fine. Uh, I don't know. We'll figure it out, maybe. I mean, it's girls. The The most likely scenario is Boyo is going to have to get back up there. Figure it out. <laughs> Shucks, you got to have another kid. All right. Yeah, all right. Yeah, right. Good luck with that. Well, it's not my decision. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sort of is. <laughs> No, no, you I have some um, input. We'll put it this way. You have some input on the decision. Is there is there a pun there? <laughs> no, not at all. A really crass pun. I would pun. have said you have some put in if I was trying to make a pun. Got to hand it to you. Nice. Very really, nice. really effed that one up. <laughs> Are we going to do dad jokes? We should do dad jokes. We should we're do ahead. dad jokes. Ended it on there. I brought a Halloween dad joke, even though we're not really recording on Halloween, even though we're a couple days late. Yeah, and at our rate, this will come out and like, <laughs> Merry Christmas, everybody. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, I, I, my, my joke that I had for tonight is strangely tying into what just happened. So Ooh, do you want me to go time. first? Yes. What's another name for twins? Siblings is too easy. I don't know. Wombmates. <laughs> That's cute. <laughs> yep, I like it. That one's Tom approved. <laughs> now I know what my stamp has to say. Yep. Tom approved. I'm going to send you a t-shirt. Two dads talking. Tom approved. That's Tom approved. Christmas present. <laughs> I'm going to deliberately misspell it too. One yes. P. <laughs> yes. One P. Yep. The backwards E at the end. <laughs> Why should you invite Dracula to your poker game? Because he always takes the dead cards. Because mm. he's a sucker. Ah, yeah. yeah, I like that one too. That's really good. It is one of the ones where I feel a little bit bad about myself. Like I should have gotten that one. Yeah, those are the worst, right? When <laughs> it's like you hear the answer, you're like, oh, I should have gotten that. Yeah, and like son of a bitch. It's like a shot to your dad's ego. I'm sitting there bit. thinking about like coffins and stuff like that. Well, the first time I heard it, I'm going like, all right, hearts, hearts, hearts. Right, right. Hearts, and I, yeah, I didn't get there. Death, mirrors, like anything, anything at all. Yeah. Where's my Van Helsing reference? Where's it at? All right. Well, on that sad Mina Harker-ish note, thank you all for listening. I, we're talking Dracula. I can't think Dracula without thinking Mina Harker. Mina Harker. She's the driving force in the book. I, I haven't read it. I'm sorry. Okay, so just for reference, there are... I'll send my t-shirt back. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. There are exactly three books that I reread every year, and Dracula by Bram Stoker is one of them. Mm. It is in my top five all-time books. I wrote a paper on it in college, a 10-page paper, about how it's actually about the cultural identity of Ireland being sucked away by Britain and America. It's it's a Hmm. hell of a book. You would actually really dig it on the symbolic and philosophical level because I think you would get a lot of the deeper context. That book is phenomenal. The audiobooks okay. are just okay. Every audiobook I've ever heard of it is just okay. There's a Tom Hiddleston version that is supposed to be really, really, really good. That's going to be, I'm really considering listening uh. to that instead of reading it next year. But yeah, that's that's a book I reread every year. It's on my three-booker list and it is okay. a fantastic okay. book. Highly recommend. That book is Tom approved, spelled correctly. 
I might have to. I might have to put it right behind Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. <laughs> I didn't say to watch that. I said to watch the first 15 You minutes. said it, but if you have a dark sense of humor, you yeah, should watch, watch it. Watch the so first 15 like, minutes. I should watch this. <laughs> I haven't watched more than 20 minutes of that movie. I've not gone back, but the first 15 minutes were great. Uh, all right. Good luck out there, dads. Yeah. You'll do great. You've earned it. You're all Tom Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night.